Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Bit of a precursor to the message. Um, Those of you who've been part of Church in the City for a while know how I love to kind of put a good three-point sermon together, good introduction, three normally alliterated words that follow to kind of give you some, and then some application at the end. Today is not going to be that. Today is is going to be a bit of a prophetic um, kind of sharing time. I'm hopefully going to paint something of a picture of what I believe God is doing in our hearts as a leadership team and what God is doing in our church's heart. And uh, we're going to break every now and then, um, do some, I've got some props with me, so we're going to be doing some kind of a few little prophetic uh, pictures that'll hopefully communicate some of, that, uh, some of that truth this morning. So brace yourselves, a little different, you're not going to walk, walk away with a set of notes, but hopefully you're going to walk away with a heart for the Father and a heart that has been changed. So Father, we do just want to pray for that. Just for the, Father, for already you've just been speaking to us um, through the worship. And uh, Lord, we, we want to take a moment uh, just to surrender our hearts to you. We say, Holy Spirit, would you teach us in the unique and specific way for each of us that you want to uh, uh, speak, Lord. Speak to us uniquely. Speak to us specifically. Uh, Lord, would you, would you stir things within us? Would you remind us of, of, of promises that you've spoken over us? perhaps even years ago. Lord, we, we just want to surrender to you in a, in a fresh way today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Last uh, October, um, one Sunday morning, uh, as I typically do on Sunday mornings, I was, I was out on, on a prayer walk, praying in particular for the service that morning. Um, but God began that morning to drop a prophetic picture into my heart um, those of you who are familiar with this idea of God speaking to, to, speaking to us will know that often when God does that, it's often a, a stirring or it's often a sense that we get. It's more like a whisper. But there are, there are some times when God's voice and God's word are crisp and clear and sharp. It's almost as if we get to hear his audible voice. And, and, and that Sunday was one of those moments. And the picture that God began to form in my heart was of a construction site. I knew it was a picture about church in the city. But the thing that was unique about this construction site was there was nothing that was built above ground. It was everything that I could see on on, on the construction site was simply the foundations that had been laid. And then as the prophetic picture began to kind of uh, um, outwork itself, um, in, in my mind's eye, I had this picture of Jesus calling me over and giving me a brick not too, too dissimilar to this one. And then he spoke the words which still resonated in my heart today. And he said, today we begin to build above ground. Today we begin to build above ground. It was an incredibly profound, stirring moment. And I spent a, a few days, a few weeks after that beginning to just meditate and think through and pray through that particular prophetic picture. And I felt God was saying two things to me and two things to our church that I want to share today. The first thing that I felt God drop in my heart is this, is that strong foundations are vital and critical to the stability and, you know, it's to the, to the stability of a building or a, or a life or a church. And those and, and laying those foundations just can't be rushed in any way. 
I realized as I began to think that through, looking back over the last 13 and a half years, that everything that we had been through as a church and everything that we had experienced as a church was God laying strong foundations in our lives for what was still to come. I can see that process so clearly now looking back, you know, seeing the, the times of, of joy and victory, the times of his manifest presence, times of hardship and times of struggle in times of difficulty, and times when we felt that maybe God had ignored us or left us. But each of those moments were uniquely God shaping and forming and fashioning his foundations into the life of the church. I look back on that, and, I, and it's almost with a bit of shame that I, that I realize that in the moment, I was, I was often frustrated with God because things were not happening at the pace and at the time that I thought they needed to happen. Sometimes when our family gets together, um, which happens uh, less and less these days with both girls off at college, um, sometimes on a lazy Sunday afternoon, we'll be kind of at home, uh, relaxing after a, a busy week, and inevitably we'll find ourselves for a few hours on our various devices spread across the, you know, the house. Someone's watching a show on Netflix, someone's downloading a movie on Hulu, someone's doing some work on a laptop or whatever. And obviously with kind of five or, and, and I've noticed the girls sometimes have multiple devices streaming various things, um, you know, six or seven devices are drawing on the internet. And inevitably what happens on those Sunday afternoons is I'll hear something like, oh, dad, the internet is not working. Can't you fix it? Or can't we upgrade in some way so that it can actually work better? And as I make my way up to their room and I go and look and see what's going on, I realize it's not the case, it isn't the case that the internet isn't working. It's the case that they're having to wait a few moments for their show to download. They've encountered the dreaded, the dreaded <laughs> download circle. I think we all know the frustration that we experience when we encounter the dreaded download circle. And I think one of the unintended consequences of the advance in technology is that we've become an, an impatient culture. You know, it's, I, I think it's hilarious that we get frustrated when we're trying to download a movie and we're having to wait a minute. When we forget, literally a few years ago, we would have to climb in a car and drive to a DVD store in the hope that that DVD was actually available and how things have changed. And I think sometimes that impatience translates to the way that we relate and interact with God. God, at times, pushes the pause button. You need to know that. If he hasn't yet in your life, there will be seasons where God pushes the pause button. And I think because of the culture in which we live, we don't respond with, Lord, I need to be still and know that you are God. Instead, I think what we often do is we often do something similar to the girls and we say, ah, this fill in the blank, anything like this insight from God. This revelation from his word, this relationship, this church, this job, this city isn't working. I need to fix it or I need to get rid of it or I need to upgrade to something better so that my life can work at the pace that I want it to work at. I think the thing that we end up doing though is we run the danger of literally running away or moving away from the very thing God is trying to build and secure into our hearts and lives. So yes, God has been laying incredible foundations at Church in the City over these last 13 and a half years. Foundations, and I'm not gonna mention them now, 
but foundations primarily centered around the, the person of Jesus Christ. Foundations centered around our love and devotion for him, that he will always be our highest love and our greatest devotion. And I think what we've also done intentionally over the last three weeks, as much as Jesus has been building foundations in the church over the last 13 years, we've been laying foundations uh, in, in the church over the last three weeks in anticipation for what we are sensing God wants to do. Those of you who've been around for the last three weeks know that we've been, teach, we, we've been spending time looking at the, at the radical, at the risky, reckless love of the Father. And if there's, if there's one thing of all the things I am sure I will implore you to do this year, if there is one thing, one area where you listen to me, could it be this, that you don't forget the experience, the, the revelation, the, the intimacy that we've enjoyed these last three weeks centered around the, the, the love of the Father for each of us. There are times when foundations need strengthening and need revisiting. Times when a building is about to be expanded or times when a building has undergone a bit of shock. Those are the moments, you know, those are the moments when, when foundations need to be you know, need to be re- re- revisited. And, I, and without being prophetic necessarily, I want to say each of us individually will go through moments like that this year. There will be times where we are feeling like the Lord is expanding our hearts and increasing us. And there will be times of difficulty and hardship. But if we are not consistently going back and revisiting the, the foundation of the Father's love for us, I'm going to say, friends, we are building on sinking sand. And whatever we are trying to establish will not stand the test of time. So yes, God is laying strong foundations that are vital. And that process can't ever be rushed. But the second thing that I felt God was speaking to us about was this, is that Jesus is inviting us to build a radiant church under his leadership. Jesus, the master builder, is, is, is calling us to, to build a radiant church under his leadership. Under the skill and artistry and creativity of architects and builders, bricks like this one, which kind of on their own don't really seem like very much, but when they come together, the the purpose of a brick finds its, its fullness and its greatest potential when it comes together with other bricks to reflect something of beauty, something like this particular building here. Lots of individual bricks finding the fullness of their potential and displaying and singing forth the the beauty and the creativity of the one who designed it. This, when it's alone, doesn't amount to very much. What can we use this for if it's by itself? Probably a paperweight or or a doorstop. It's somewhat functional, not very attractive, but it's not fulfilling its, its purpose. And likewise, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, he says, he says, I will build my church. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I will build your church. And he doesn't say, you will build my church. But he says, I will build my church. It's a statement of incredible intentionality and, and, and ownership and investment. And what Jesus is able to do is bring together you and I, each of us, as, as not as bricks, but as living stones which alone, we might not amount to very much, we might not look like very much, but when we come together, we become this dwelling in which God inhabits by his very presence. 
I would suggest that you and I will never reach our fullest potential and we will never display our most infinite beauty when we isolate ourselves from others. But God's design is to reflect his beauty and his glory and his worth and his value for each of us when we come together into this building that is called the local church. Ephesians 2, Paul writes about how we are not just citizens of of the kingdom of God, as dramatic and remarkable as, as that is. And he goes on to say, we're not even just members of God's family. But we are living stones that come together to, to, to form this, this building that houses the very manifest presence of God. You guys have heard me teach on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It's my all-time favorite verse when it comes to describing local church. And forgive me for a moment because we're going to have to mix metaphors. We're going to have to move away from the building metaphor and just talk a little bit of science for a second. But Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that it is, it is now, God's intent, his intent is that now through the church, the manifold, the multifaceted, the multivaried wisdom and glory of God be, be manifest to principalities and powers. And when I read that verse, I, I, I get the picture of a prism. The church is a prism. And the, and the perfect, glorious, magnificent light of, of Jesus is shining upon his church. And through the church, we are to break open the, that pure, perfect light into its component colors as each of us reflect the gifting that God has given us. It's this picture of beauty. It's this picture of splendor. It's this picture of magnificence. It's this picture of discovering who we are truly meant to be. As I began to dream and pray through and meditate around this idea of a radiant church, I was drawn to Isaiah 62. You don't have to turn there, but a couple of verses will appear on the screen behind me. And in particular, verse 3. And verse 3 says, You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem. In the hand of your God. A royal diadem is kind of one of those half crowns. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. You know those kind of half crowns? Um, I didn't know. A ti- tiara, yeah. Like a... You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. A royal diadem or a royal tiara in the hand of your God. And, and, and the point that Jesus is making, the point that God is saying is we are far more than just a beautiful building. But we're this magnificent crown in the hand of the Lord. But I stopped there for a moment and I said, but God, why, why are we a crown in your hand? Why aren't we crowned with splendor? And I felt God say that we are a, crown, a glorious crown in his, in his hand because he wants to use us to crown others and to bring others into the fullness of their relationship with God for them to discover that they are beautiful and magnificent in his eyes. Last week, Aidan taught so beautifully about the father's desire to robe his sons and daughters with garments of righteousness and praise. And now this week, we, we are reading of the fact that, that God wants to crown us with splendor and with radiance. And, and, and God is inviting us to, to discover our worth, to discover our value, to discover our beauty, so that we can be used to go and crown others. I had a prophetic sense in my heart this morning that God wanted to crown a few people 
And I thought it would be kind of cheesy to come with a, with a kid's plastic crown. So um, forgive me for doing this, but I got Debs to make a couple of floral crowns. And I felt in my heart, if I can do this, Brittany, I'm sorry to, to embarrass you, but would you mind coming forward? I feel like the Father wants to, wants to crown you this morning. He wants you to know just how incredibly beautiful and, and radiant that you are. And I've got this bouquet of flowers to represent something of the royal scepter that people receive. When they receive a crown, when, they receive their, when someone is crowned as a prince or a princess, they receive a crown and they receive a royal scepter. Do you mind if I put it on your head? Do you mind? And I just feel the Father is saying over you, Brittany, that you are, there's your royal scepter. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you. Don't go, don't go. I just, I sense in my heart that the Father would say over you that, that he is, this is a season where he is giving you back your voice. And I feel like with others, you're going to be declaring in various ways, not just in art, but in various ways, a voice to declare the radiant beauty of Jesus because you have come to understand the fullness of his love and the way that he sees you. Thanks, Brittany. And Sunitha, if you wouldn't mind coming forward as well. <laughs> I feel too the Father wants to crown you with a crown of beauty and splendor. Can I put this on your head? Do you mind? Thank you. <laughs> and if I can give that to you. And I just feel like there is an incredible um, mantle of authority that the Father is bestowing on you. I feel like this is a season that you're going to be walking into um, where you're going to understand, yes, your beauty, and yes, your radiance, and yes, the glory of Jesus in you, but with that, an incredible confidence and strength and, and authority to, to speak the, 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 the vast riches and treasures that are in your heart. I feel like God has placed deep, deep wells in your heart. And I feel like this is a season of discovery for you, but not just discovery for you, discovery to, to use you to, to show others the deep truths that God has placed in your heart. So I wanted to speak that over you as well. Most of you know that I'm the father of two two very beautiful, strong, independent, confident women. And I've been particularly touched and moved and challenged and supportive of the hashtag MeToo campaign that has encouraged and given women a voice to speak out about sexual abuse. It's been something that has really touched my heart. It's, honestly, it's, it's social media at its best, and we, don't often, we, can't, we can't often say that. But it's got me thinking and praying that perhaps we could see a move in the church, perhaps a move in this church, where women discover their radiant beauty in the eyes of Jesus. Again, forgive me for being corny, but I thought of the hashtag, hashtag, I take his breath away. I would love to see something of that where, where women in our midst discover their strength 
and their confidence and their radiance and their beauty. Verse five of Isaiah 62 carries on. Church in the city, each of you are not just a building project to the Lord. I love verse five. It says, as a young man marries a young woman, so your builder marries you. And he rejoices over you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. I thought of this hashtag, 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 he rejoices over me. Let those be the things that we are speaking about. So this, with this above ground kind of prophetic picture stirring in my heart, we've been spending the last few months as an eldership team and as a staff revisiting some of our vision and values as a church. And I'm excited to let you know that starting from March 4th, and this is a date I want you to save, starting March 4th, we're going to be unpacking and, and speaking around this, this, re, this re-envisioning that God has given us. And I'm also excited to let you know, although I can't give too much away, but we are, have, have discovered some incredible momentum in the area of finding a home. And I'm hoping in the next kind of four to five weeks that we'll have something to announce. But until then, I want to encourage you to pray to pray with us and to pray for us that God would continue to, to, to surprise us with this journey that we've been on. In fact, I, if we can take a moment to pray right now, just right, right where you are seated, I'm gonna just take a minute just to pray for us as a church. Father, we, we thank you so much for, for this amazing journey that we've been on over the last year and a bit. We, we know, Lord, that the, the ultimate prize of any faith journey is not the thing that we're trusting for, although we trust for it. But it's, it's more of you, Jesus. It's intimacy with you. And you've been so faithful with that so far. You've, you've brought us closer. You've, you, you, you've, you've shown us parts of you that we've never experienced or seen before. And, and we thank you for that, Lord. And, and we thank you for, for all that you have done. And we pray, Father God, would you continue just for your favor to rest upon us. I pray, Lord God, over these next four to five weeks that whatever needs to be secured will be secured. Whatever needs to be established would be established. Whatever needs to be passed would be passed. Whatever decisions need to be made would be made. Lord God, so that we can eventually step into, in your timing, step into the building that you have for us. And so we ask for your leadership in this, in Jesus' name, amen. So I've said all of that to build a little bit of a foundation for this new preaching series that we're starting today over the next four weeks, building on the foundation of the Father's love kind of as a bridge towards March 4th, which is gonna be the relaunch of our vision and values, we're gonna look at the early church. And we're gonna look at, this, at, at the characteristics of the early church and, and what was unique about the explosive growth that we see in the early church. And what can we learn to trust that we would see that as well? The series is called Ordinary Radicals, The God Who Saves and His Audacious Church. Over a 250-year period, Uh, um, at a time when it was illegal to be a Christian, at a time when Christian leaders were not professionally trained, at a time where there there was no such thing as social media, to mention just some of the differences between the early church and, and the church in the West now. Over those 250 years, the church grew from around 500, around the time of Jesus's death and resurrection, to 20 million 250 years later. And I read statistics like that, and there's a cry in my heart, and maybe a cry in your heart too, where where we say, Lord, would you do it here? Would you do it in our time? Lord, why not us? 
And I think sometimes when we pray that prayer, when I certainly pray that prayer, I can make the mistake of being a little retiring or a little kind of stepping back a little to say, Lord, you do it. And I forget the reality that God wants to do it in us and through us. He wants his people, he wants his church to live in a way that is countercultural, that is pushing up against the culture. Not in a hard-hearted way like the older brother of last week. Not in a, like a religious or pious way that is, that is opposed to the culture. But in a way that is showing the culture the, the joy and the delight and the hope and the privilege of what it means to, to have Jesus in our hearts as Lord and as King. And so quickly, I just want to mention to you the, the nine characteristics, and then we're going to end off the last five minutes by focusing on, on two of them. But these characteristics that we're going to study over the next four weeks are, are characteristics of, of, the, of the early church that saw explosive kingdom growth. And can I just make this quick statement? The goal of the series is not church growth. The goal of the series is kingdom advancement. I believe that when the kingdom advances, churches, including this one, will grow. But our hearts, our desire is to see the kingdom of God advance in and through our city and beyond. And so here are some of those, those characteristics that we're going to be looking at over the coming week. Number one, homes. The early church used their homes as the central building and not the castles that we escaped to to get away from the world. And can I say, as we look to establish our home as a church, let's not make the mistake of that becoming the central place from which all ministry takes place. It's the place we'll gather on Sundays. It's the place we'll gather on Wednesdays to pray. But our homes remain the central vehicle through which kingdom advancement will happen. Number two, edges. Kingdom advancement and growth of the early church happened on the edges of society. In other words, yes, there was the life of God in local churches and church meetings, but the majority of salvations and signs, wonders, and miracles happened out in the community and in society. Number three, power. The power of God flowed visibly through their lives. Number four, the body. The early church emphasized the importance and power of called, gifted, trained empowered and, and the mobilized body of Christ, not this leadership-centric culture that we have in our nation. Having said that, number five, the early church recognized servant leaders operating in their gifting and calling. Number six, community. In the early church, community wasn't formed just for the sake of community, but it was formed around this idea that we are on mission for God. That's what happened with the disciples. Jesus called 12 random people to be with him, people that had hardly anything in common. And as they discovered mission, they learned the importance of community. Number seven, generosity. The early church was generous with everything they had, not just from a place of excess, but also even when they had hardly anything. And the two we're gonna focus on very briefly this morning over the last 10 minutes. Number, number eight, lordship. Without diminishing the fact that Jesus is Savior, the early church understood and ordered their lives around the reality that Jesus is also Lord. And then number nine, sent. With this idea of lordship in mind, the early church lived with the conviction that every day they stepped out into the world, they were being sent by Jesus to continue the work that he had started. 
This idea of the lordship of Jesus and this, this notion that we are sent by God to continue the work he had started, they, those two ideas intersect in the context of the kingdom. When you hear that word kingdom, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind? I've noticed on Netflix, perhaps because of Meghan Markle about to marry into the British royal family, but there's just an overabundance of kind of monarchy-themed shows and movies. It's, it's all over the place. So perhaps when you hear the word kingdom, you think of a geography or a place like the United Kingdom, where there is a sovereign and ruling over it. Perhaps like the Sus who went to, you know, who went to Disney World a couple weeks ago, when you think of kingdom, perhaps you think of the Magic Kingdom. Although I'm not sure who would be king in that place, but Mickey or uh, who knows. Anyway, that's a conversation for another time. I want to encourage you, when you hear the word kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, don't think place. Think influence. Think reign and rule. The, the influence, the extent of God's influence, the extent of God's reign and rule. That's what we need to think of. One thing I often do, and maybe a little tip to help you, is when I read scripture and I see the word kingdom appear in scripture, I often exchange it for the word reign and rule. So in Psalm 103 verse 19, where it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom, his reign and rule extends over everything and over everywhere. God's kingdom, God's reign and rule is characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy. We love to throw that phrase out, but think about the incredible reality of those words. The kingdom of God is characterized by righteousness. Righteousness. I have right standing before God. I can approach the throne of God with confidence because of what Jesus has done. Peace and joy. I've used this before, but joy is peace dancing. Peace is joy at rest. That's the characteristics of the kingdom of God. The characteristics of the kingdom of God are the fact that it is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And we experience the kingdom of God to the extent to which we surrender to the lordship of Jesus. We come into the experience of God's kingdom by grace. Nothing that we've earned through the reality that Jesus Christ is our savior. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. I'm going to be a little longer. Can I, I've just realized now I'm going to need another 10 minutes. So I said 10 minutes a couple minutes ago, but I am going to need a little more time. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says there, Christ died for sins. When you read scripture, do your utmost to make it personal. Don't read Christ died for sins. Ask the question, how does it apply to me, to you? Christ died for my sins. Once for all. Once for all, Jesus paid the price once for all. Our sins have been put upon him and he died the most gruesome of deaths that our sins, past, present, and future, have been taken care of by the cross of Jesus Christ. Forgive me for using an illustration that I've used before, but I, I can't think of a more graphic demonstration of the, re, of the reality of what Jesus has done for us. In the Old Testament, there was a, There was a practice that the nation of Israel would do, and that is that they would, um, once a year, the nation of Israel would come together as an entire community of people, and they would choose two goats on which they would place in the middle of the community, and the high priest who represented the nation of Israel would stand by those goats and place their hands on those goats, and the nation of Israel would confess their sins. They would 
as it were, kind of impart or, or put on to the goat the sins of the nation. And then what would happen is the high priest would take one of the goats and he would go off into the Holy of Holies and kind of behind a curtain where the rest of the community couldn't see what was going on. And he would sacrifice the goats. Don't get a fright if you're afraid of balloons. But he would sacrifice the goats. And he would come back to the people and he would show them the blood of the goat. That the that price has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. The, their sins are no more. But people would struggle with that picture because they never saw what happened in the Holy of Holies. And so what the high priest would do as well, here it is, what the high priest would do as well is they would take a second goat, it was literally called the scapegoat, and they would take it out into the edge of the city and they would send it away into the desert, carrying its sins, the sins of the nation with them. You know, I could do something right now and that would be to release this in this building. The problem would be is our sins would kind of be hovering above us. (laughs) And it would defeat the object. But honestly, I was thinking about this this morning. I think that's often how we come to deal with our sins. We, We forget about them, but we haven't truly given them over to Jesus. They're out of mind, out of sight for most of the time, but occasionally we'll kind of look up and see that they are still there. Or we'll forget about them for a whole week and then come back into the building next week and, oh my goodness, there it is. My sins haven't forgotten me. The Bible tells us this. Jesus is the lifter of our heads. And when he pays the price for sins, they are paid once and for all. So what they would do is they would take this goat and they would take it out And off it goes. And it's, it's a helium balloon that's gone forever. And that's the reality of our sins. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, God takes our sins and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. That's where our sins have gone. Jesus has paid the price once and for all. God, Christ died for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. This incredible exchange that has taken place. uh, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin placed on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness placed on us. Why? It carries on. So that you can be, so that in order to bring you to God. Jesus is not the older brother we learned of last week. The older brother who, would, who refused to give up his robe to the younger brother. Jesus is the older brother who wants to do everything he can to bring you and I and others home. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Can I say, friends, that Christ's death is absolutely meaningless unless he was raised from the dead. Christ's death means the price is paid. Christ's resurrection means the price and the payment has been accepted. And that we can never place a withdrawal on heaven that bankrupts heaven completely. Debs and I were kind of joking about this in the car the other day. Dave Swart, our friend from Columbus, called me up last week and he said that for some reason Ventra had discovered that he had, an, an over, uh, he had cash available in his account of about $120. And instead of giving him cash back, they gave him a Ventra card with a limit of $120 on. 
My venture card, like some of you here, is linked to a credit card that every time it goes below a certain balance, it automatically recharges. Every time I climb on a bus, there's no worry or fear that I will, will not be accepted. I can, place, I can place that card confidently on that reader, knowing that I will be accepted. And I was joking with Debs. I'm going to give her a venture card with $120 on it. And for the first 40 or 50 rides, it'll be great fun. She won't even think about it. But then eventually, she's going to get to the point where she's like, oh my goodness, am I accepted? Beep, yes, I am. Thank goodness. The next ride, am I accepted? Beep, yes, I am. Good, thank goodness. But a time will come. She knows a time is coming where that withdrawal limit is going to reach its maximum. Friends, sometimes that's how we approach the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't have a maximum limit. The, grace, the forgiveness of God doesn't have a maximum limit. Sometimes we go to God and we place a draw on God for his grace. And we think, is this a time where I'm going to be rejected? And God is saying, no. There is never a time when you can bankrupt, bankrupt heaven. Grace is unlimited. And without diminishing this reality of Jesus as Savior, we cannot ever forget that he is also the Lord of the kingdom of which we are now part, a part of. I don't have time to touch on that at all, unfortunately. Let me end with this. In the coming weeks, we're gonna learn a lot about how the kingdom of God works. Most times when we hear the idea of working in the kingdom of God, we have this idea of earning things for God. But what makes this gospel of grace so unique is that we are not earning God's change, we're not earning God's favor in order for our nature to change. When we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, our nature changes and it is reflected in the things that we do. So please, in the coming weeks, don't see these as things we have to do, but rather reflections of the nature and change that has already taken place in each of us. The reason we can say that is because the heart and the life of the Father has been breathed upon each of us. Can I ask you just to close your eyes for a moment? And I want to read this verse out of John 20 that we know very well. I want to just kind of end this morning with an opportunity just to pray for us that we would receive the breath and life of the Father that would reflect in us and then through us as we go into our places of work or school this week. And in John 20, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then it goes on to say, and with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Stay in this place of, if you feel comfortable, eyes closed and hearts open. The reality of what is Jesus is saying is this, the most incredible event in all of history of the Father sending Jesus is repeated every single day as you and I go in the same way into our places of work or into our schools or into our art studios or onto the bus, wherever life takes us. We are continuing this earth-shattering, history-altering event of Jesus being sent by the Father to earth. We get to continue that work. And we can do it with confidence because the Father is breathing his life upon us. Not just today as a once-off topping, 
But every single morning, before you go, as you're in the shower, as you're getting dressed, as you spend time with the Lord, he is breathing his life on you. The way that we get to advance the kingdom of God is to remember that this will require patience. It's not a quick fix. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's gonna require tenacity. We can't run away. We can't say, well, let's just get another one. Let's go to another. No, God's called us here for this season to impact the people that he's entrusted to us. It's gonna require that it become personal. What I mean by that is sometimes the kingdom of God can be very theoretical, but when we get to know the people that we are interacting with, that's when it becomes personal. Their dreams, their hopes, their stories, their desires, their struggles, their hardships. But most of all, this work of advancing the kingdom of God is sustainable because the Father is breathing life upon us. And so Father, we pray in Jesus' name right now for your life to be breathed upon us. Lord, across this room, as I look upon these precious people, consultants, artists, teachers, doctors, psychologists, technical experts, students, retired people, moms, business owners, students, trainee doctors, social workers, voiceover experts. Love it. Love the diversity in this room. Father, would you breathe your life upon us? Would you breathe your heart into our heart, Lord? Thank you that you are sending us. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done here in Chicago, just as it is in heaven. Healings, wholeness, salvations, marriages restored, children reunited with parents. We want to trust for the fullness of your kingdom. Not for us to hold on to, Lord, but through us to those around us, we pray. Just before I hand back to James and as every eye remains closed, can I just ask if there's anyone here today, maybe you're visiting for the first time, maybe you've been coming a few weeks, but if there's anyone here today who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would love to pray with you right now where you would have the opportunity to to kind of pray with me and receive Jesus into your heart. I trust that the the message that was brought, the worship that came, perhaps the illustration of those two balloons or the fact that Jesus has paid the price for your sins. Let today be the day of salvation. Today be the day where you say, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. I don't understand it all. I don't fully comprehend it all but I know that you are calling me into relationship with you. As every eye is closed, if that's you, I'm gonna ask you in about 10 seconds just to raise your hand and I would love to, not embarrass you in any way, but just to lead you in a prayer right where you are seated where you can say, Jesus, would you come into my heart as Lord and Savior? If that's you today, right now, could you just lift your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Anyone this morning would wanna receive Jesus into their hearts as Lord and Savior. 
surrendering themselves, taking the, the faith that they put on, on themselves and saying, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. Is that you today? Just lift your hand quickly. I'd love to pray with you. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace. We love you, Lord. What a privilege it is to serve you. Trust and pray, Father God, that you would massage this truth of your love for us and how you want us to go and share this love with others. Would you massage this truth, not just now, Father, but throughout the rest of this week as we meditate on these words, as we consider the fact that we are a, a, a crown of splendor in your hand, that you want us, Lord God, to take that crown of splendor and, and to see others being crowned and come into relationship with you. Lord, that's our heart. That's our desire. We long for that. We desire that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.